millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hey, this is Kate Anderson Shivers, and you're listening to the Absolute Sanity Saving Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you, Kay. We've gone from exquisite to sanity saving, which I think is a, a lockdown plus. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, Matt, when you send out the emails to our backers saying, can you send in your record and send in your intros, do you fish for compliments? Do you request <laughs> that they put in some kind of superlative, you know, just if you feel like it, feel free to pay us a massive compliment. <laughs> I don't actually. This is this is an this is an intro arms race which is happening independently of me currently. Or, organically. Fantastic. Mm. It's like when our mascots get involved in an arms race to send us tennis related animal content. Can't believe our luck. No, it's all fine. And we also are quite happy to receive your emails, which we've been receiving by the bucket load over the last few weeks, um, most of which saying very nice things. And, uh, and yeah, it really has... What do you um, mean most? Hang on, you don't, you don't share with me the ones that don't say nice <laughs> things, do you? That's correct, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, particularly uh, in a week when we are about to reveal our worst of... Um, ever on the podcast and that means the worst of our predictions on this particular edition on Thursday we're going to discuss the worst Grand Slam finals in history uh, or have a debate about them uh, and we're also going to talk about the worst of the greats which is going to be a, a lot of fun to to try to work out when they were human when they weren't brilliant, when they did rubbish things on court and threw in absolute shockers. Because it's that kind of world at the moment. We've decided we're going to have one week where everything's rubbish and we're going to talk about it. So we'll be getting on with that in a moment or two. Catherine's had her own worst of week uh, or weekend. Catherine, you've had an uninvited guest in your flat. What's happened? In, yeah, it's 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 like the rodent population of Putney heard that we were celebrating worst of week, and uh, a mouse has decided to invade my bedroom. Well, we knew the mouse was on the loose because the 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 rubbish cat brought in the mouse about five days ago. He hasn't got any teeth, so he was unable to wound or kill the mouse. Just brought it in. Thanks very much for that magic. 
Um, and five days later, at two o'clock in the morning, the mouse makes an appearance on my curtain and uh, it's spent the entire night crawling up and down uh, my clothes rail, up and down my favourite dress. Thanks very much. And... Um, I don't. I no longer know whether it's my imagination or reality, but I swear I can hear it nibbling right now. It's in the room. I mean, it was last sighted in this room, and I can now hear the sound of mouse-like rustling. But I, I, I heard it in my dreams as well, so I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's reality anymore. <laughs> is any of it coming from where the unpacked suitcase is? Do you mean ununpacked? Yeah, it's really, really close yeah. to the suitcase, and I, I've, I've started to become concerned that the, I mean, it would make a really good mouse nest, and it is cracked open just enough that a mouse could sneak in. I'm now too afraid to lift the lid, in case there is some sort of rodent party going on in there. <laughs> Um, right. Anyway, I've ordered some humane mouse traps on Amazon, which is more than this mouse deserves. Um, <laughs> I've ordered some humane mouse traps on Amazon, which should arrive tomorrow. And until then, I'm just going to live in my own personal horror movie. Okay, fine. Uh, on the plus side, you are about to become a DJ, I hear, on the new radio station of The Flat. Yeah, every, this was the week that everything got really really lockdown weird for me i've been invest infested by rodents and my building someone in my building has launched uh, uh kenilworth court fm okay right <laughs> and uh yeah he he's he sent a message around to our um our community WhatsApp group, which was the most Alan Partridge message I've ever received. And I really wanted to reply with an Alan Partridge gif, but I don't know any other people in this group. And I just, I didn't know how well an aha would go down. But yeah, someone called Marcus and introducing KCFM, the world's most local radio station. Test music is now playing at, here's the link, and I hope to be live on Monday at 4pm. Requests and dedications go to this email address. Say hello to your neighbours. Why not pick the music? Send six tracks you'd like to hear and why, and we'll play the best of them. Uh, test transmissions are now running here. At the moment, it's playing, this is the absolute gold, at the moment it's playing random selections from my music library, which would explain why earlier there was Donna Summer followed by the King Singers doing, <laughs> doing the highway code. If you have problems with it working, please email and then the email address. Oh, how lovely. The King Singers is the most, that's just so Partridge. Absolutely nobody responded with any Alan Partridge references. So uh, How disappointing. These are not my people. No. Uh, and, and meanwhile... Um Catherine will be vying with her, her housemate to appear on the radio station and choose the music because uh, said housemate has uh, been critical of Bruce Springsteen, which has not gone down well. You're revealing all of the <laughs> inadequacies of my living situation, David. And we <laughs> haven't even got one. into my shit predictions yet. Brilliant. Um, yeah, but two infestations in the house. <laughs> An actual rodent and a Bruce Springsteen hater that thinks our toilet is haunted. Great. What is your flat vetting process when you um, get these people in? <laughs> people can be. People can deceive you, Matt. People aren't always what they appear to be. 
What are you saying? She didn't suggest that the toilet might be haunted at the interview? No. Right. No, she didn't. <laughs> How can you get a haunted I mean, toilet? Oh. Right. I Should wasn't we... too stressed about it because I was going to try and attempt to get on the property ladder this year. But, you know, there might not even be a property ladder by the end of this year. So no. I just have to settle in with the mice and the Springsteen haters. Okay. Oh, well, I tell you what, let's cheer ourselves Great. up. Great. Has by... everybody got enough of it? Can we tear into somebody else's uh... well, yours <laughs> life is by... and times yours next is time? Yours by far the most entertaining um, for us. <laughs> and uh, and let, anyway, look, let's cheer you up, Catherine, by talking about our last eight years of absolutely appalling predictions. Oh, you know how I love to listen to our archives. Yeah. So, Great. Yeah, let's do that. I, I should say as well, um, this is the week when the virtual tennis tournament in Madrid starts. Uh, Simon Briggs has written a big s- story about esports, of which he clearly understands very little. And <laughs> Simon I, Briggs has written a big story about esports. Yeah, and I tell you, I we understood really even, are through the looking glass now. Yeah, I didn't understand hardly any of it. Um, but anyway, I read all of it. Um, and uh, you can too if you want to find out about virtual esports and all that um, so yeah there are loads of, loads of tennis players who should have been playing the Madrid tournament who are now playing each other at a computer game version of tennis also Caroline Wozniacki is playing <laughs> is she? yeah Wozniacki like, and Ferrer have come out of retirement yeah, this they? is not what Wozniacki meant I think when she talked about new things to do in retirement like the two months projects. ago yeah. uh, and Gael Monfils was going to play but now he's not yeah, they've had a withdrawal from the Madrid Esports <laughs> Open, which is, I don't even know what that is. With 24 hours I notice. I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I think if, it, if, if people are into it and it keeps them vaguely entertained, then good luck to them. I'm impressed by, you know, the initiative and trying to provide some kind of vaguely tennis-related entertainment. But it does all make me a bit depressed. Oh. Right, well, we'll cheer you, yourself, cheer you up by uh, talking about our predictions, shall we? From the last eight years, uh, of which the tennis podcast has been going. And yeah, Matt has been a busy beaver who has been going all over our archive. And it has taken some vetting, Matt, hasn't it? Because I think you ended up with more content possibilities than we could fit in the show. Mm. This is a streamlined list of 12 awful predictions. Right. Okay. Um, I should say shout out to uh, Brad Gilbert, who gave one of the worst predictions that that we're not going to play, which was um, which was saying that Madison Keys would be number one within about, I think, I think he said something like 12 months. And yeah. here we are, I don't know how many months later, it, and that has not happened. The key with predictions, I mean, well, David Law's key with predictions is to keep it as vague as possible. But <laughs> the sort of a watered down version of that is never put a timeline on it, Brad. Mm. If you're going to make a bold prediction, keep keep the timeline vague. Yeah. Advice that Catherine has never taken. Um, <laughs> however... That's why we enjoy her contributions so much, because she goes all in. Uh, Right. What we're going to start with, Matt, you can take us through them and let's hear them. Right. Well, we're actually going back to episode one, (laughs) believe it or not, for the first one. And this is a time, this is 2012. This This is a time when Serena Williams has never lost in the first round of a Grand Slam. She is 46 wins and zero losses in the first round of slams. 
And we're just about to head into the French Open. And David <laughs> David goes for what seems like a fairly kind of safe ground prediction, which is this. I think that Serena Williams is going to go all the way, personally. Wow. I think she's going to go all the way to the final. I'm going for Azarenka against Serena Williams in the final, with Serena Williams doing the same to her, which she did a few weeks ago, and winning the title. What a story that would be. Serena Williams, French Open champion. And what happened? She lost in the first round to Virginie Rosano. <laughs> I mean, you can see where I'm coming from. Come on. Episode one, I thought I need to, you know, establish my credentials immediately and, you know. Well, you did. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you yeah, know, the, the tone was set there, right there and then, really. The, the very next episode, I, I actually played that in. I thought, I'll, I'll hold my hand up. This, you know, this will never happen again. So um, I'll just do it. I'll hold my hand up and say, look, I got it wrong. I know I got it wrong, but you can trust me. I'll figure it out for, for the future. Um, but things didn't quite go like that. That was, the, that was right at the start of her, her relationship with Patrick Moritoglu, wasn't it? Or that started shortly afterwards, I think. I think it led to the relationship. Yes, I believe um, that. Uh, I'm very, I'm very pleased that I didn't really feature in that clip because I've no wish to hear any of my broadcasting from the year 2012. But just out of interest, Matt, did I did I jump on board the the, the Serena train with David, or did I did I question no, that prediction at all? You just accepted it. Uh, accept, right. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> you didn't argue it. God, which, as we will see in. More clips that that very much became a theme where you did argue over predictions, but that one no, you were you were happy to let it go. I think what's lost in that in that prediction is your other prediction in that clip is Azarenka to reach the final. Anyone remember how she got on at the 2012 French Open? No, she's never really done anything at any French Open, has she? She got a sort of semi-respectable fourth round appearance, but she was the top seed. Azarenka, was she, uh, having won the Australian, of course, mm. Mm. yeah. Oh. Top but, seed Azarenka, wow. But then I found it interesting that, and this perhaps leads into the next clip, that Serena really turned that defeat around. She then went on a really dominant run where she uh, she won Wimbledon and the Olympics that summer, singles and doubles on the grass, and just then was the dominant player on on the tour for the next year. That's what I've, that's so what I've it, been it, thinking. You that's see? been a bit of a theme, You're hasn't it? Just, just going a bit early. That's mm. what you did with your Stremska and Sviontek, Matt. Just the predictions, right? Just the timing is a bit off. Exactly. I mean, predicting Serena Williams to win Grand Slams, accurate. Just Serena Williams to win that particular Grand Slam, bit bit off radar. I mean, 46 and 1. And I get the one. Well, she's now 73 and one. Is she? <laughs> yeah. I'm still the only one. It was extraordinary that match, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was sort of the, the French Open summed up in, in one match, kind of the crowd and the Atmos and, yeah. I'd actually forgotten how, just how dramatic the finale mm. of that match was. I went back 
Rosano won it on her eighth match point. <laughs> Serena saved seven match points in the final game, and then finally Heck. Rosano won it on her eighth. She was five love up in the third set. Serena got it back to a five three, and then Rosano just eventually managed to close it out. Um, Do you remember watching a, it, David? Match. I don't. I don't remember the match at all, to be honest. And I, and I also don't really remember Rosano doing anything else. I don't remember her mentioning her name other than that that to do with that match. I'm not trying to be unkind. I just I just can't think of anything she's done. I think for pretty much everybody involved in tennis, the mention of her name, that match would be the very first thing. But that when would you consider, spring I, to I, mind. I spent the next six years commentating on women's tennis uh, on for BT Sport, and I just don't remember doing a match of hers. I don't remember her becoming. A, 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 a oh, she definitely point. didn't become a thing off the back of of that. In fact, I think she'd already had the best part of her career. I think she got up into around the top 30 a few years before that. But this was actually the only Grand Slam match she won in 2012. She lost all her others at the Slams. She was 111 in the world at the time. And I don't think she... Yeah, she certainly never built on, on that win. But it was just a one-off incredible moment for her, which she would always always be remembered for. You get the sense that the listeners sort of stayed with us after that because they thought, oh, well, this lot will make me feel better about myself. <laughs> um, right, okay. And so well, it proved. What else we got? I can see what number two is and I'm anxious. Well, oh, as I said, so Serena gosh. built on oh. on winning Wimbledon after that Rosanna defeat and she goes into We all Wimbledon. know what happened, Matt. <laughs> Just giving it the big build-up. She goes into <sighs> Wimbledon 2013 having won three of the last four slams and she goes into her fourth round match against Sabine Lisicki <laughs> on a 34-match winning streak and Catherine comes out with a infamous prediction. Sabine Lezicki or Samantha Stosa are probably two other players with the sort of firepower, Catherine, who might, might cause Serena Williams some problems. Just possible. I mean, I would bet no money on it, whatever. I mean, Stosa has an appalling record on, on grass. This is the best she's ever done at Wimbledon. Hey, hold on. She thrashed Serena Williams in the US Open final on, two years on ago. On hard courts. I was making a comment about her performance on grass which up until now has been... Um, it perhaps should have been better than, than it has been, but she is, you know, she has no grass court pedigree at all. Lissiki does, but I just... I give them 0.01% chance against Serena, I'm afraid. I really, I really <laughs> do think... I'd love it if you were a booker, <laughs> You'd give some fantastic odds. <laughs> I really do think that it's, it's a foregone conclusion, and if I had to pick anybody... To beat her, well, I would a pick Laura conclusion. What are you talking I think it's about? How can you say it's a foregone conclusion, conclusion as there's ever been in tennis? <laughs> oh, God, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> yes, yes, the foregone conclusion line has sort of become the headline, but there's plenty of other. I didn't realise there was such a horrifying prelude. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. Sam Stoza hasn't ever really done anything on grass. Can no. we can we cling to that? There's actually an extent that's an edited version of the clip. There's a there's a part where David tries to um sort of persuade you that this is a bad idea by saying, <laughs> "Well, 
Caroline Garcia took her to six three six two, and you go, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's what counts as Serena being pushed. <laughs> oh, I mean, I've got nothing. I can't. I can't defend it. It was a really naive thing to say, you know, in terms of just sport, wasn't it? I mean, to call anything a foregone conclusion is is ridiculous in sport. I've I've learnt, I've grown. Twenty thirteen <laughs> was a really bad year for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> should also say that Lizicki then went on to reach the final. Didn't she? She beat beat Red Vanska in a match I, I commentated on. I'll never forget that match. I think it was something like seven five in the third. Incredible match, and uh, and then lost out to Bartoli in the final. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't just a flash in the pan for her. That was the the moment of her entire career. I think when I was saying what I was saying, it was based on the fact that I think she'd reached quarters or semis of of Wimbledon previously quarter final I think previously of Wimbledon and she just had a huge game didn't she she was a bit of an all or nothing player that's that's the only reason I wasn't going quite as strongly as Catherine I feel like Lesicki was that player who always showed the difference between clay court tennis and and grass court tennis because she would never be a factor f- f- you know for months you wouldn't really hear about her and then you get on the grass at Wimbledon and suddenly everyone everyone was talking about Lisicki and I actually found this stat that her win over Serena in uh, 2013 at Wimbledon was the fourth time in a row that she'd defeated the reigning French Open champion at Wimbledon so in 2009 she beat Kuznetsova she didn't play in 2010, and then 2011 she beat Lee Nar, 2012 she beat Sharapova, and then 2013 she beat Serena. So I think that just emphasises how how strong her game was on on the grass in those years. And yeah, probably probably was an oversight. <laughs> great. So statistically, it was an entirely predictable result. That's just great. <laughs> but I, I think it also <laughs> does show it's an example of how, and we talk about it being sort of recency bias, and it's an example of how Serena felt at that mm. stage. Unbeatable. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm not just trying to defend Catherine's complete cock-up here. I'm just sort <laughs> of um, just putting it into perspective that, that when, you, when you look at the, the facts, the idea that she wouldn't, wouldn't have gone all the way seemed absurd really back then. And it, a bit like, I guess, Nadal at the French and things like that, there are some predictions that you feel as though you can certainly confidently go with because of how it feels. And even more recently, Serena Williams has been responsible for some of our, maybe not silliest predictions, because it's, it, I mean, I guess that's the point. It's never silly to to pick Serena, even latterly. I mean, thinking about the, the Grand Slam finals that she's played in post... Um, post-pregnancy, post-having her daughter, I think the majority of us, and I include, sorry to to drag her under the bus with me, but I want some company under there. If you're going down. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Carrillo, you know, never, she's, I remember before last year's Wimbledon final against Halep, the previous year against Kerber, 
you can't back against Serena. She feels like, you know, Serena in a Grand Slam final. Now, I, I don't know if she would have the same position in a in the future if we if we find Serena in a Grand Slam final again. But there is that kind of force of nature feeling. I know this doesn't defend my fourth round prediction because it's different circumstances. But there is, they are so... Yeah, there's such forces of nature, players like Serena Williams, and there are very few of them that you do get this feeling of that it's just sort of written some some somehow. It is history sort of, stays with you, doesn't it? I, I, yeah, I, I remember when there was that year when Nadal was going through all of his problems, and I just couldn't find it in me to say that he wouldn't win the French Open, mm. and yet mm. all the evidence, all the feel was that he just it wasn't there, and I kept on saying. I don't care what you say about Djokovic until they play at the French. I, you know, can't believe. It. And then I think he beats he beat Nadal in straight sets that in that the quarters, year yeah, at the French. We, we've had the same with Federer in the past, where just that bit in the back of your mind that if Federer found it, found the form, wherever it is, he could still turn it on, even if all of the evidence is to the contrary. And I think that's at a macro level. It even works on a micro level. We saw it this year in the Australian Open with Serena in that one match against Chong Wong. I remember we were commenting, Catherine, you were in the stadium and you and you were saying it didn't feel like the atmosphere that an upset was going to happen, even though everything that you were watching was telling you Serena's probably going to lose this match because she's not playing so well. Everyone in the stadium has this history in their mind saying, oh, it's Serena. Of course she's going to mount a comeback. But actually what you're seeing is saying the complete opposite and it can really can really mess with your mind when you're trying to make a prediction as, as we unfortunately have to. Yeah, it's such a good example. Yeah. None, none of none of that mitigates <laughs> what happened in July 2013. But thanks for trying. I should say, Catherine, you were the only one, I think, out of us to call Kerber beating Serena in in her 2018 Wimbledon final. I remember that quite vividly in in her first Slam final back um, after maternity leave. You were you were going with Kerber in that one. I should Thank say. you, Matt. Thank I mean, you. we're trying to make her feel just a little bit better about things. We're not trying to completely rescue it uh oh don't worry i I definitely haven't completely rescued it there's 10 more clips (laughs) excellent let's have number three let's have number three so we're still in 2013 oh god i told you it was a bad year oh dear Um, and you're making a prediction about the u.s open because people at the u.s open have never seen federer and nadal play Spoiler alert, they've still never seen Federer and Nadal play. <laughs> but that's not what we thought. Oh, God. Crack on then. Hey, Catherine, for the first time ever at the US Open, we might get a Rafael Nadal against uh, Roger Federer match in the quarterfinals. What do you think? Will it happen this time? Joe, you know I think um I think it probably will happen. I think, um, well, we've discussed Nadal's form. It would be a massive shock if he didn't reach the quarters. And I know Federer has been, by his standards, dreadful, really, in, in no uncertain terms. I, I, I really can't... I, I see him stepping it up for the US, really. Me too, I, especially I, I with really, the night sessions. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be very, very surprised. More As much so, I mean, I know surprises where Federer is concerned are no longer a, a taboo uh, post-Wimbledon. But I still see it as 
hugely unlikely, even in light of everything that's gone before. I I, I really do think we're in line for that, that quarterfinal. Crikey. What I love about that one is that you're so aware of all the evidence pointing to the fact that it's not that likely to happen. And yet, like we were saying with Serena, you're kind of just looking past that because it's it's like it has to happen, doesn't it? That that was those were the win- wilderness months for Federer, weren't they? If you think back, he'd reach he'd won Wimbledon in 2012, and then we'd got to 2013, and he'd lost to. Sergei Stokowski in the in second, second round, round of Wimbledon, uh, of Wimbledon. Yeah. and you know and that was such a huge shock I remember commentating on that one as well that that felt like probably the biggest shock I've ever commentated on and then he goes into the US Open he ended up losing to Tommy Robredo didn't he mm-hmm. which you know is a is an appalling loss really and no <laughs> I don't mean to be disrespectful to to Tommy Robredo because he played brilliantly I, rem- I remember how well he played but Tommy Robredo at the US Open for Roger Federer who I think had won it five times is just it was un- unthinkable really I remember Robredo had just scraped past Dan Evans in the previous round when Evans was playing had one of his spells of tennis where he played really well um but that match was also not on the Arthur Ashe Stadium, That's as, right. I, as I recall, which which is a really jarring thought now. Would that have been the last time Federer played not on the Arthur Ashe Stadium? Quite possibly. Possibly. Wasn't it, I mean, again, I'm, I could be wrong here, but I feel like it was a day that was affected by rain. I don't know whether it was mm. scheduled originally to be, I think it was on the Louis Armstrong court, Um and I feel like it might have got moved to that court to accommodate mm. the other things. I remember it not happening when it should have happened. There was a, a lot of catch-up going on mm. um, midway through the tournament. But, I mean, just just more widely, the, the whole Federer and Nadal never played each other at the US Open. You're talking about eight years where they've where they've won it. And there have been other times when they've both been in the finals, but never against each other. So for them to avoid each other for basically 15 years at the, at, the, at the US Open is quite incredible. I mean, I, the, the one that, that I remember for the first time was, I think, the 08 semi, where the whole tournament, given that they played each other in that final at Wimbledon, the greatest match of all time for many people, and they'd hired Don King, the boxing promoter, <laughs> to, to bill it as the grapple in the apple between these two. And... Oh, it was so much fun that the whole hype around that that clash that they were inevitably going to have, and yet, and they get to the point where Federer is in the final. I think he'd beaten Djokovic in the semis, and then you've got Nadal against Murray, and again that match started not on the Arthrash Stadium mm-hmm. court because um, I think it was Tropical Storm Hannah had rolled in and uh, and completely washed out. Uh, a day's plan. I remember that because I was knee high in water out in the concourse <laughs> area, trying to trying to get back to the bus. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, just shoulder high for most people. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else was just drowning, and David was Swimming. wading through a paddling pool. Yeah, um, and that was Murray's first Grand Slam final, wasn't it? But just it is one of those really weird things the the num- i mean the, if you did a list of the number of times that they've been a match away matt i, I dare say you've got that number i have <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah there was the 2008 one with murray and yeah i mean at least you didn't 
hire a promoter to big that one up. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, that graphic is hilarious. It, it says, uh, it says the magician of precision against the matador of spin. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's that's poor, isn't horrible. it? Horrible. Even if it had ended up happening, that should be remembered unfavorably um and then 2009 federer got into the final beating djokovic and nadal lost in the semis to del potro 2010 and 2011 federer had match points against djokovic to meet nadal in the final and he and he lost both of those and and then 2017 was when they would have met uh in the semis but Del Potro beat Federer in the quarters. So, yeah, five times they've been just one match away. It's really funny that that 2008 tournament, because obviously watching that, I remember watching that as a as a British tennis fan here. Um, <clears throat> that was that would have been uh, just after I started working for you, David. That would have been I'd have just graduated not long not long before that, um, obviously the whole narrative here was willing Andy Murray to get to his first Grand Slam final to 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 win his first Grand Slam. We were, I mean, obviously Federer and Nadal were a big thing and a and a significant secondary storyline of the men's tournament, but there there would have been no sense of of letdown or disappointment or unfulfilled promise at at Murray beating Nadal here, but that would have been totally out of step with with how it would have been received. You know, even if you were an Andy Murray fan, I think the whole of the tennis world would have been willing mm. Federer and Nadal to happen and, and Andy Murray was this irritating um, party pooper in all of that. But that's not how it was, you know, f- watching as a, as a Brit. I think the assumption was there would be more opportunities as well, though. There's been another 12 mm. years since then, and it still hasn't happened. I mean, I, I, you're talking about how Don King had built it. I doorstepped Don King after Murray beat Nadal, found him around in the, in the <laughs> stadium. And I'd, I'd heard this sort of hype fest that he'd given the, the the match up between Nadal and Federer if it had happened and I so I said to him and he he'd had a few drinks I have to say so I said uh Don what, what about Andy Murray then and he's he was suddenly off he's the 007 of the tennis court Andy Murray blistering back serves forearm one two in the lobs it's going to be one of the most exciting tennis matches in tennis history and this is what you call in the heavens of tennis now you have Roger Federer from Switzerland. Who will it be? Will it be Andy or will it be Roger? That's what the grapple and apple is all about. Long live the queen. We are ready, baby. <laughs> A drunk Don King coming up with off-the-cuff nicknames for Andy Murray. Yes, please. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that was 2013. Um, is that where God, the still a long road to travel, isn't there? Can we stop dear, now? Dear. Afraid not. Also, I just wanted to pick up on another point you made in that <laughs> in that clip we just heard. David talking about the night sessions. Just thinking how much that's changed now. Like Federer used to be so dominant in those night sessions, but actually those have been the matches in the last two or three years where he's really looked vulnerable at the US Open. He's obviously lost to Millman and Dimitrov in the last two in night sessions. And now you're, you're kind of thinking he needs day sessions at the US Open. It's just an indicator of how that has changed that I thought was interesting. This year, I mean, obviously, who knows whether it will happen, but this year it's going to be 12 years since Roger Federer won the US Open. Yeah, he's won the French Open more recently. Yeah. Which is mad. Absolutely mad. Anyway, more humiliation, please, Matt. <laughs> Well, you'll be pleased. This is a David one. Um, we, we, we are still in 2013. God, I told you it was a bad year. <laughs> and David makes a prediction in October 2013, <laughs> which is just plain silly, let's be honest, about the 2014 Australian Open. Juan Martin Del Potro keeps beating people at this level of tournament. He beat Rafael Nadal the other week. He, he's beaten... Roger Federer now in the final in Basel. When's he going to do this in a Grand Slam? Well, he's already done it in a Grand Slam, first things first. Yeah, but that was years ago. Yeah, years ago. Uh, And momentum-wise, it's very difficult, isn't it? This is the worst period in the season to have momentum in your favour for because it's very, very difficult to carry it through to to the Australian Open. And the other thing is that um, I do think the conditions indoors suit him perfectly. I don't think it's fair to say that we're getting a sort of false impression of how impressive he can be, but it's a shame for him that there isn't a slam on the surface which definitely seems to suit his game. Well, I'm going to interrupt you, Catherine, because I think he's going to do it at the Australian Open. Wow, really? Yeah, there you go. This Australian Open, to be clear. Yeah, next Australian Open. He's the champion. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow, okay. That's a big old prediction, isn't it? One Martin Del Potro for the Australian Open. That only came to me about, well, 
about 30 seconds ago so uh what not at about the moment he was beating Federer to win no no it's just come to me i loved every aspect of that so what actually happened matt he lost in round two (laughs) to roberto bautista agu before he must have been a very youthful roberto bautista agu Mm. Um, and this, I should say, was actually doubled up with a prediction you made on the Australian Open preview show where you predicted very big things for Petra Kvitova and she lost in round one to Lusika Kumkum. Lusika Kumkum. I think, I think it made you do two emergency podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Did you double down on the Del Potro uh, um, prediction? So pre... Australian Open 2014, that January, yeah. did you reiterate yeah, fair the... play to David. He was oh, yeah. still backing Del He committed. I'm a man of the world, a man of my word. <laughs> when, I say, when I go, I go. Um, and I went. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I completely got it wrong. Isn't that, though, when... That's when he started getting his really bad wrist problem, isn't oh, it? Oh, come on, David. So, I mean, how could I have known? You know. But we knew he was injury-prone. He's no, not somebody you should ever, ever, ever be making a long-range prediction about, put it that way. Yeah, but he was playing so well. When can you ever um, make a prediction, an Australian Open prediction based on what happens at the back of the previous season? It so, so rarely carries through. You know, I fell into that trap massively with Sabalenka a couple of years ago. Um I mean, it's so easy to fall into that trap, mm. isn't it? But it's it's quite hard to to almost as hard to ignore something you've just seen when somebody's been brilliant as it is to n- not think about the history and how many times they've won it in the past. You know what what is it you should be going with? What is the sensible thing to do? I mean, we just keep getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows the answer to that question. <laughs> But it is. It's a. It's a. It's. It's actually a really bad time to have a to have a surge. And that's an interesting point you made about Del Potro indoors. That's actually a distinction I very rarely make in my head. I, I often think of players as good on hardcore or clay or grass, but the distinction with indoors is one that I overlook probably a little bit. And to think that Del Potro, so that was twenty thirteen. He'd beaten Federer in back to back Basel finals indoors obviously yeah I, th- I think that's probably true the fact that there isn't a slam indoors probably has hurt some people and you probably have to say del potro is in that in that category and sorry to bring up the double whammy but i'd, I'd i mean obviously she is a grand slam champion but that probably applies to kvitova as well if mm. there were an indoor grand slam kvitova would sort of always have been one of the top top favorites i, I should say I, I got burnt by kvitova at least we've, four times we've all been burned by kvitova haven't we but I mean, I, and kvitova i feel like we've all had our fingers burned yeah and i think kvitova and, and del potter are quite similar players in terms of although they're not you you don't think of them as the big three or the or the or that kind of category you feel like that's where they should be you feel like i i feel like both of them should have won more than they have now, obviously, Del Potro, in particular, 
he's had so many years of just not being able to play that that that's taken it out of his hands. Kvitova obviously has had that horrendous um, knife attack that she suffered. But even if you go back before that in her career, I, I would have expected her to have had a rivalry with Serena that never really materialised, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I, I would say that probably in my haste to pick them as winners is just it's just the potential it's always what you've seen them do once or twice in matches but they can also let you down oh <laughs> they're, they're players that sort of injury aside you on a macro scale definitely logically want to predict them to win slams but you never want to predict them to win any particular slam well i mean you obviously did <laughs> <laughs> both of them at one particular slam it's a nice theory i mean when i had to do those i remember being in australia i was actually sharing a, an apartment with alistair bruce ball of bbc radio five live who'd never done a tournament before and he'd heard about that we were doing this podcast and he saw us do our, our preview one and and then two days later uh he just saw me again on my own in my room on the phone to you he's like i thought you'd already done the podcast and i said yeah, well, I've just had to do an emergency one. And the look on his face when I had to explain to him what this meant. Oh, the horror. Was that our first emergency podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how long it was? No. Eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can never let it be said that I don't hold my hand up and admit my mistakes, which are... Plenty. I don't think that can any, ever be said about any of us again after this. Mm. <laughs> one fact, this, this one big hand-holding up session. This might need to become a two-parter. Uh, we're 44 minutes in and we've only Yeah, I wouldn't four. mind doing just doing a quick sweep for the mouse because I did just hear some rustling. Uh, okay. Uh, can we do two more? Oh, okay. <laughs> if you don't mind me being a bit antsy. <laughs> so we're used to that. Uh, right, what we got for number five, Matt? We are in 2014 still. And oh, it was a great year. Grigor Dimitrov, our <laughs> favourite, has just won Queens. And does David think he's going to take over the world? I'm, I'm afraid this is one of yours, oh, Catherine. Bollocks. <laughs> I thought David's always gone bigger on Dimitrov. Oh, oh, just, just press play. He's just balancing that with with the main with the main goal, which is well, from what he was saying today, winning Wimbledon this year. I think it it sounds ridiculous, but it, well, it doesn't anymore. Does it sound that ridiculous anymore? I, I'm, no, I'm and look, sure I am does. I am not going to start predicting Grigor Dimitrov is going to win Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm fighting myself from doing that, but he's capable. But th- there is no doubt in my mind he's capable, he, and he thinks he's this capable. year. This year, absolutely. Oh, he's going to win Wimbledon one day. That that's that's happening. It's uh, it's just whether or not it's this year that that's a question. I think that's the worst one. Well, he still hasn't retired yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> isn't it sad how hilarious that sounds now? Though I know I'm deflecting, but I'm sad about how funny that is because it shouldn't be that funny. Nearly six years ago. And he'd, yeah, he'd beaten Lopez in the final. And what did he do? He went on to Wimbledon and he beat Andy Murray, the defending champion in the quarterfinals. That's when I thought he would win it. I thought he would win it after that. That that after, year? After he beat Murray in the quarters, I thought he would beat Djokovic in the semis. 
and he lost in four sets. Do you remember mm. he played on the centre court? It was a really hot, dry Wimbledon and very, very dusty on the surface. And the players were just slipping all over the place, both Djokovic and Dimitrov. Both of them were, were quite used to sliding into the ball on hard courts and clay, but they just couldn't establish their footing at all on, on grass. It was really jarring to watch. And then Federer came out in his semi-final against Raonic and it was like there was nothing different at all. No. He was just <laughs> yeah. he was just moving exactly the same as always. He was and just tiptoeing tip mm. around the court without any sliding at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, he absolutely took Raonic apart. But to think that, you know, in, in 2014, and look, Dimitrov was so good at Queen's that year and he was so good at Wimbledon. I think the thing that we probably everyone was underestimating in those days was the longevity of the big three, especially. You know, we, we, we probably saw a future two or three years down the line where Dimitrov would be the guy. But well, they never budged. Lekeep did their year end rankings for five years into the future, which um, I yeah, think... Yeah, let's we bring might... some other people's rubbish predictions yeah, into this. and they had Dimitrov as the world number one in, in that. Didn't um, they have Benoit Pair as, like, the world number two? <laughs> Benoit Pair featured... See? Definitely. I've never, ever gone big on Benoit Pair. <laughs> well, you say that. <laughs> um, but actually, I, I think from... I think what it was with Dimitrov, what happened to us, when we first saw him, Catherine, was at Queen's, and he'd just been given a wild card for the second year in a row by Chris Commode. He, he was a Wimbledon junior champion. Honestly, this is the honest truth, the parallels between him and Federer at that stage were so clear, style-wise, game-wise. The fact that he'd won Wimbledon Juniors, the fact that he'd been given uh, a wild card like this, and 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 he just he just looked so similar in so many different ways, physically, um, all those things. And I'm afraid I think I think the kind of desire to, in my case, the desire to pick somebody, the pick the next one did run away with me in a bit in a way i saw this and i was desperate for it to happen because because he was so exciting so much fun to watch and you could see the next 10 years ahead of you and it's yeah it's quite nice to be able to sort of say oh early i reckon that's the guy um but it shows i mean look i i guess he's just not as good technically a tennis player as someone like federer i i don't know enough about about it to be able to give you the the absolute categoric on that but his commitment his his focus faded in and out i think it hurt him that he was compared so much to federer really i think calling him baby fed was pressure he didn't need mm. um but if you think about it when he won queens he was being coached by roger rashid at the time who was just drilling drill sergeant major um but that only worked for about 18 months before dimitrov just he couldn't be pushed like that anymore he he just he was like he stopped listening and he, and he went on a real dip for quite a period. Um, went, went on, just disappeared. And then it was when he was with Danny Valverdu, which that got him back on the straight and narrow and he got to the semis of that Australian Open. And, and we had this repeated situation of feeling like it might still happen. It's going to happen. And we, you know, it hasn't happened. But I mean, he's had a good career. It's just nothing like the career that we thought he would have. He's like a... 
it's like a kid, I suppose, isn't he? Or, I mean, all all the sort of really charming things about him, that about his personality that we're quite drawn to are quite childlike. And, you know, you're describing the, the period with Roger Rashid. He, he needs both the discipline and the p- paternal or maternal arm around the shoulder. He needs... It, t- coaches tend to be kind of one or, or the other on that front. And he needs the balance of of, bo- of both because he's this I don't know he's got this vulnerability about him which you don't see in the greats and it makes him charming and likeable and it makes you desperate for him to succeed and we've yeah we've probably both been too desperate for him to succeed over the years and it's ob- obscured our perspectives maybe well, not maybe you've just heard the evidence. <laughs> um, but do the, do any of the greats really have that kind of vulnerability in them? Well, certainly that vulnerability that you, you're allowed to see from the outside. I'm not sure that they they do because they're too busy showing their fangs. Um, that that, that has really, doesn't have fangs. Well, and, and Rashid tried to in, tried to give him fangs and i think for a while he kind of managed to 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 make that happen it's well he just certainly it... gave he's got the physical fangs i mean he is uh, as as good an athlete as absolutely anybody and kind of always it has been since rashid i mean that definitely was drilled into him and, and stayed that that physical work ethic but then i think there's an element of I think sort of Zverev is falling into this trap a bit in in if his um, if his hiatus lockdown hiatus rhetoric is anything to go by of thinking well if I just work hard enough if I just do enough fitness work and work harder than everyone else then that will be enough um, and obviously that's required but the, there's a heck of a lot more to it than that should say that. In the intervening period between him winning Queen's 2014 and the ATP Finals in 2017, something changed where you then weren't predicting really big things for him. Because I went back to the the show after twenty after he won the ATP Finals, expecting <laughs> expecting big declarations of a Grand Slam to follow, and actually you were very sort of measured and and thinking you know this is this is a big result but I'm not I'm not going to predict more for Dimitrov now so something obviously happened presumably lots of other boy who cried wolf syndrome I suppose we'd been mm. burned Matt yeah we didn't want to mm. go near the flame anymore yeah what can I say mm. right next up please because there's a definite rustling yeah okay. down okay. to my right end of part one <laughs> of the worst predictions ever on the tennis podcast is going to be, Matt. Well, I've got some catching up to do, so this is one of mine. Oh, um, goodness. But actually, this is this is still from... This is in early 2015, actually, before you even knew who I was. I uh, replied to one of David's questions on Twitter. Your big prediction for 2015. Now, the last two come from Matt Roberts, who says there will be three new Grand Slam winners in 2015. Nishikori at the US Open, Dimitrov at Wimbledon. And in fact, John McEnroe was saying that that he thinks Dimitrov will be the next uh, new Grand Slam champion at Wimbledon next year, or this year rather, uh, when he was on the show a few weeks ago. And Simona Halep will win the French Open. I think all of those are actually not beyond the realms. Well, yes, they are beyond their realms. <laughs> and 
I mean, was Matt, that your first appearance on the pod, Matt? Yeah, I think so. Oh. With three wrong predictions in one go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give mean, you Halep. Halep, I went early. So hang on, that prediction was made when exactly? So that was about early January 2015. So Halep reached that French Open final. No, so she'd, no, she'd reached she'd, the she'd final reached the year previously. before. Yeah, okay. so it took her three years to, to win Halep the Halep will Open. give you, I think most people at that stage would probably have been predicting that Halep would become a, a Grand Slam champion that year. Not beyond the realms, to quote David. Yeah. John, John McEnroe was with you, Matt. I mean, come on. But David really tried to help you out there. It, what it does <laughs> no show one mentioned again. John McEnroe being with me when I was predicting big things for Dimitrov. Yeah, well, uh, doesn't it show you again how the recency comes into it? Halep had reached the final in 2014 mm-hmm. of the French. Nishikori had reached the final of the US Open. He'd lost to Chilich. And Dimitrov had had that run to the semis at Wimbledon. Just talk me through your exact feelings about Kei Nishikori in January 2015, Matt, because... I wish I could. um, Even after that US Open final, and hey, he's he's still playing, he's only 30, um, anything can happen, but... I I don't think I don't think e- even in in the recency bias stage of his best result I don't think I w- was ever thinking of him in terms of being a likely Grand Slam champion. So talk me through. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I was probably just trying to think about it logically. And if you're thinking of someone who could be the next person go to the guy who's already reached the Grand Slam final. Feels like a logical step. But I think I just massively overlooked what we now know are actually some, you know, some holes in his game, really. I always think Nishikori's serve is just not good enough to win a slam. Um, And he looks lightweight against all of the top players, really. So I, I, I can't explain why I thought that he would break that barrier and overcome all those hurdles. I must have been expecting him to improve. But actually, one of the things I think about Nishikori is I think if we looked at Nishikori in 2014 and compared him to now... Same player. Same player. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you think that Marin Cilic would win more Grand Slams after that US Open 2014? I honestly can't remember. I, you can't I, I, remember all of your exact emotions about Marin Cilic <laughs> at every stage over the past 10 years, Matt. I, Come I can on. tell you that I, I, at that stage, I would have said no. Uh, I would have thought it would have been one and out. And yet, and I kind of feel like he's ended up doing better, having reached mm. two more Grand Slam finals than I would have expected. But once I'd seen him, I mean, I picked him to, I think I picked him to win Wimbledon the year that he won Queen's. I think I, f- I felt that, that it was coming. And then when suddenly all that expectation was on his shoulders, he lost to Guido Pella, if you remember. Which is which is one of the weirdest Wimbledon results in recent years, actually. Yeah. Was in five right? sets, wasn't it? On a, I think it was and, on court 18 or something, maybe no, slightly no, court, court, court two. One. And court I, was, one. I was commentating on it and he was comfortably in charge and then the rain came and he just could not just get himself out of, out of holes that he would dig himself. Can you remember, David, how you felt about Kane Ishikori at that time? Well, I was very excited about him after the US Open because he beat Djokovic in the semis and going toe-to-toe. And I always remember watching that match and thinking, when have we ever seen somebody play pinball tennis with Novak Djokovic 
and look like he can dominate him. And that's what he did in that US Open. And it it made me quite underwhelmed when I would ever see him play Djokovic thereafter. He never got mm. close to him again. I don't think I don't think he's ever beaten him since. No. And uh and he's and he's in fact he's never got close to any of them since that. So I, I feel as though I feel a little bit shortchanged in terms of what I felt he could do. I remember that year I think he'd beaten Vavrinka on the way to that final as well. He'd had a brilliant run at Nishikori. But do you think if we went back in time to January 2015, you'd have said, yes, Kei Nishikori will be a Grand Slam champion? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think I'd like to think I would have put other people probably ahead of him as, as Grand I'm, Slam I'm just trying to assert, I'm not. I'm not trying to drag anyone under the the bus that I'm already resident beneath uh, <laughs> with me. But I'm just trying to establish in my mind whether he's underachieved. I think I, I just don't know. I think he's just achieved. Game, I don't think he's under wise, or over. I've, I've, I take Matt's point on the serve, but game-wise, I think he's got such an exciting game, that ability. Yeah. And I, I'd compare it to Agassi, that ability to just take the ball early and just swipe mm. away. So I feel a bit shortchanged in that regard that that – we only saw that level of tennis hurt the best players a handful of times. Um, but his physicality has just has not been up to stuff, really. The one thing I would say also about that period, 2014, start of 2015, is that was a time where a, a lot of the talk was, for the want of a better term, changing of the guard. You know, 2014 had been a season where what we now think of as the, as the kind of lost generation had their moment. So Raonic reached the Wimbledon semis. Um, Dimitrov reached the Wimbledon semis. Wawrinka had won the Australian Open that year. Murray was coming back from his back surgery and wasn't quite at his best in 2014. Federer was coming off the back of his poor 2013 season. Nishikori had reached the US Open final. It it felt like potentially there was going to be a little bit of change on the horizon. And as I said before, I just... I underestimated the ability of the you know the big four to bounce back and and their longevity i think I think that's probably the reason why I went big on someone like Nishikori because I thought it was a it was a breakthrough moment for him and other players but it it just wasn't hmm. okay then uh, well that's Did defense the of, accepted Matt yeah that's the end of part one folks we've still got loads more rubbish predictions to bring you and we'll do that in a separate show uh, because uh, that's how rubbish we are uh, Matt have we got any shout outs for this episode while uh, Catherine goes and sorts out her mouse situation I am genuinely going to go and do that because I, I swear I can see movement <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, we do have shout-outs. And I should say, people should definitely tune into part two because part two, there is some absolute gold in these in these predictions. Um, but yeah, shout-outs to Catherine Willerton, to Liz Barnett, and to George Atkinson. Oh, thank you all so much for your support of the Tennis Podcast. You know now, having listened to that last hour, exactly why you put your faith in us, because we never fail to deliver in providing the worst possible predictions. Uh, so, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you all of you for uh, for your backing and your support over the years, all the way back to 2012, some of you. And, uh, yeah, there are more rubbish predictions coming your way very soon here on the Tennis Podcast. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.